Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. We're going to continue in our Freedom Series on Free Indeed. And I want to emphasize once again about our Freedom Encounter. If you're part of this church and you have never been to a Freedom Encounter, you need to be there. And uh, if you really want to know if you're truly free or not, You'll find out because uh, we will cover every area of your life. We've been doing these things for about 20 years, and I could sit here and tell you hundreds of stories of what has happened at these meetings. We don't know what to expect when we come. God knows, and God deals with whatever area uh, you have need of in your life. So we're going to continue in this Freedom Series all the way up to that weekend of the encounter. In John chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus said, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Uh, Pastor Joseph started with a bang last Sunday and with the message, the mind feel, and uh, that was a great way to kick it off. But I want to tell you, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says this, and this is the key verse for our encounter retreat. For it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I want to tell you, true Christianity, I'm saying true Christianity, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about true Christianity is 100% about freedom. It, that's what he came for, to set us free. We ought to be free and free indeed, as Christ said he will do for us. That means a free life, a life free from guilt, free from shame, free from remorse of the sins of our past. The past is gone. That's what Christ came to do for us. It's also a life that's free of, without bondage or addictions. How many know that God doesn't want us bound or addicted. Our country is becoming addicted. It's becoming uh, uh, in bondage to drugs like, like, like nobody's business. People are dying every day from addiction to drugs. That's what the devil wants to do. The devil has come to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said he'd come to give us life. In Christianity, there's only one thing we should be bound to. And that's Jesus. You want to be bound to anything? Let's be bound to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, I think Paul said he became a slave to Christ. That's who we need. If we're going to become a slave to anything, let's become slave to Christ. So I entitled this message today, Free from the Empty Life. We've got to get free from an empty life. I want to read one verse of Scripture 
which is in 1 Peter 1.18, but I want to read it from five different translations. I want to get this across to you. The first translation is the King James Version. It says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your father. See that vain conversation? It amazes me when I hear people in the world talk, their conversation, so vain, so empty. Everybody thinks they got wisdom and knowledge. They have nothing. And then the New King James Version says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. An aimless conduct. People are living a life that's aimless. They don't know where they're going. They don't know how they're going to end up. It's aimless. No matter what they do, they don't know what the end result is. And then the New American Standard Version, it says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. Futile way, a futile life. It means nothing. It will end in nothing. It has no value. It's futile. And then in the Amplified Version, it says you must know, recognize that you were redeemed, ransomed from the useless, fruitless way of living, inherited by tradition from your forefathers, not with corruptible things such as silver in gold. The Amplified Version says that empty life is useless, fruitless way of living. It bears nothing. And the NIV says this, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. So all of these describe a life without Christ. It's vain conversation, aimless conduct, futile way of life, useless, fruitless way of living, an empty way of life. This is what Christ came to set us free from, an empty way of life. And this life, for the most of us, has been handed down to us. It's been handed off to us, either from our parents or from guardians or anybody that raised us. If they were not a believer, a born-again believer, they handed us a life that was empty, a life that was useless, fruitless. See, if it's a life void of a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's an empty way of life. And, and it doesn't matter how much education that your parents afforded you. doesn't matter how much inheritance they left you. It doesn't matter how much material support they have given you. If it's a life without knowledge in a relationship with Jesus Christ, then it's empty. 
Jesus said this in John 10.10. He says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. So what Jesus came to do, he said, I come to give you a full life. See, the world out there thinks they're living, but they're really not. The apostle Paul uh, uh, tells us about that, but Peter says we were handed this thing. Think about that. You might have grew up in a family that didn't know God. They handed you an empty way of life. They handed you a philosophy that was futile, that was useless and fruitless. But God says, I've come to give you a full life. A full life is a fulfilled life. If you're not fulfilled in your life, then you don't have a full life. A fulfilled life is a life that has hope and a future that only God can give you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. So a life without hope in a future is an empty life. You don't know where you're going. You don't know how you're going to end up. You don't even know what it's all about. It's empty. So anyone without the life of Christ that he gives, and that is being born again, has an empty life. Peter said this empty life was handed down to us from our fathers. No matter how good our parents were, and there's a lot of good parents out there, but if they don't lead you to Christ by their godly example, they have given you nothing. You, you have absolutely nothing. They handed us an empty life. We're now living in a fatherless generation. So there are lot, millions of children growing up without a father don't have no example whatsoever. But not even those fathers who are at home, if they're not born again, if they're not godly fathers living a godly life, they, they, they are handing their children a vain and empty life, one that is focused not on God, but on the things of the world. Worldly possessions, worldly pleasures, jobs, professions, money, housing, property, enjoyment, recognition, fame, popularity, investments, retirements, recreation, position, authority, pleasure, honor, prestige, comfort, and sports. How many fathers who are professing to be Christians, when sports season comes, they take their kids and enroll them into sports and tell them, listen, we don't have to go to church on Sunday. We're going to go and do sports. And we're telling our children sports is more important than the godly life. That's what you're telling them. And so many of our churches now, the fathers are not there today because they have their kids enrolled in some type of sports program that is of the devil because it's always on Sunday. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with, with fathers teaching their children 
the basic necessities of life. You need to get a job. You need to be able to support yourself. You need to do all those things that, that is necessary for living in this world. But these things do not satisfy the human heart. The physical and material things, no matter how much you have, will not satisfy the human heart. Now, as I was putting this message together, a song came to my mind. I began thinking about the song we sing here. And I want you to stand because we're going to sing it right now. Stand with me. It's called Graves to Gardens. That's right. You came along. Put me back together. That's right. Every desire is Hearing your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you seen them all. The God of the valleys, and there's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. Oh, there's nothing.
than you, oh, there's I couldn't stop thinking in that song when I was putting this message together because I relate to that song just like many of you relate to it, especially the first verse of it. I've searched the world, and it couldn't fill me. The first 27 years of my life, I searched the world to try to do everything, try to experience everything, and realize that none of it was working. That was still, there was an emptiness inside of me that nothing in the world was going to fill. There's only one person who can fill it. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's, there's something inside of every one of us that before Christ, it was empty, it was void. And nothing could satisfy it. No matter how much you experienced, no matter how much pleasure no matter what you did or how successful you may have become, it never, ever satisfies. On the other hand, when a person strictly focuses their life upon the world, thinking that their life is out there and we're going to go get it out there, the things that I get, the things that I do, his pleasures, his possessions, they become vain. And the conversation is vain. And, and it's nothing but empty talk that people are talking out there. Their hearts become empty, void, unfulfilled, and incomplete. And there's a man in the Bible who was the richest man ever lived, probably on the face of the earth. His name was King Solomon of Israel. And I want to, when, when his father King David died, and Solomon became king. He took over everything. He had everything the world could offer. The Lord approached him one night, and we want to read this in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7. It says, That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. How would you like the Lord to, to ask you that question? Just ask me anything. I'll give it to you. Look what Solomon says. Solomon answered God, You have shown great kindness to David my father and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed. For you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. God said to Solomon, Since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, riches, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I will also give you wealth, riches, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will have. In other words, God said, you're going to be the richest man ever lived. 
You'll be the smartest man ever lived. There'll never be anyone after you that's going to match what I'm going to do for you. But not only God made him the smartest and the wisest man on earth, but he made him the richest. Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines. He had 1,000 women at his disposal, at his beck and call. Now, you'd think his life would be fulfilled, but it wasn't. Wasn't, wasn't enough. He found out that all he had and all he did was meaningless. In all his wisdom, King Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is what he concluded in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. And that word meaningless in the Hebrew means emptiness or vanity. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine. A lot of professing Christians are trying to do that today. We got Christians sipping the wine like crazy. thinking that that's going to do it for them. And embracing folly, my wine still guiding me with wisdom, I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I want to stop there. I want to remind you, this is the wisest man on earth writing this. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs of water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasurer of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward of all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I have taught to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. The king said all he had, he had everything, and all he had done, he did everything his mind could even conjure up to do. He built houses. He did all these things. He said it all was meaningless, empty, and vanity. Now, the entire book of Ecclesiastes, if you read the whole thing, he deals with everything in life, everything you can imagine in life, and he comes up with the conclusion that they're all meaningless. 
The world would understand that out there. This is what he concluded at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. Here's the last two verses. He said, now all has been heard. In other words, I've told you everything. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Now, you got to understand, David wasn't a Christian now. He, he knew the things of God. He knew God. He knew the plan of God. But he said, this is the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commands. That's it. That's what he concluded. This is God's plan and purpose for our life. Anything other than that is empty. The hearts of people in the world sense a lack of permanent purpose meaning and significance. Everybody's out there trying to figure out what is my life all about? I know I did. I was working, had a profession. I said, what is this all about? What, how is this going to end? And in my condition, I knew it wasn't going to end too good. If there is a God, my life wasn't going to end too good in, in, the, in the way I was going. See, there's emptiness in the heart that no earthly pleasure or wealth can fill. Now, King Solomon had it all. He denied himself. He said, I deny myself nothing. Anything that I could even think of, I did. Anything I ever wanted, I got. He said, but it still it's not worth it. It's, it. it's still nothing. Whatever he desired, he got. It didn't satisfy him. And because of his wisdom... He was looking for that which would satisfy him. I wasn't the smartest guy in the world, but I knew one thing, that life wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't happening. Something had to change. Paul warns us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition, and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. See, there's all kind of deceptive philosophies. Probably your father might have gave you something. Your father's only going to give you what he's concluded in life, and it can be passed down to us. There are in the world, people in the world, they are being taken captive by philosophies and traditions. And, and let me tell you something. We can even create our own philosophy in life. One, we have convinced ourselves is right. But guess what? Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to man. The end thereof is death. If you have concluded a way of life outside of Christ, it's the wrong way. And the end is going to be death. You, could have, you might have deceived yourself, because those philosophies can deceive you because they sound good, but in the end, it leads to death. There are millions of people trapped in traditions of religion. Religion that was handed down to them, and they accepted it without even questioning it. Never, well, you know, we've always been Catholic, and that's how it's going to be. You know, I've always been a Baptist. Everybody in my family's been a Baptist. Everybody in my family's been a Methodist. I can't tell you how many times, and probably you have too, 
You see a person whose life is ungodly and you go witness, tell them about Jesus and the first thing they tell you, well, I am a Catholic. I was born a Catholic and I'm going to die a Catholic. And I tell them that's exactly what you're going to do. That's exactly what you're going to do. You're going to die a Catholic if you're not born again. See, and, and, and people are, are received that tradition that was handed down to them and they have never questioned it or even sought God. They thought it was all right. But Christ didn't come to give us a religion. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a life. Jesus said, I kind of give you life, not a religion. They had enough religion in the world as it was. He didn't, we didn't need another one. We needed life. And Jesus never mentioned that his church would be named Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, or even the tabernacle. He never mentioned any of that. See, Jesus answered a religious leader this way in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, a, a Jewish uh, teacher of the law. He said, in reply, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. That's the end of the line right there. And when I talk to people and they bring up religion, and if you talk to people and witness to people and they come to you with their religion, Ask them one question. Are you born again? Because if you're not born again, you're not going to understand what I'm telling you. And if they say, I don't know, I think so, well, if you don't know, you're not. If you have a question about it, you're not. Because if you're born again, you're going to know it. So you're, you're going to know God changed your life. So anyone who is not born again, has an empty life. I don't care how much religion they have. I don't care how long they've been going to a church. Now, you want to know what an empty life looks like? The Bible tells us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, Paul says, Do you not know what, that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders. You know, I, can, I might be arrested for saying that, but that's okay. It says, but nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is the type of life that's empty. If you're any one of these things, or if you involved yourself in any one of these things, that's an empty life. If you're immoral, that's an empty life. If, if you're an idolater, that's an empty life. If you're in adultery, that's an empty life. If you're a prostitute, that's an empty life. If you're a homosexual, that's an empty life. If you're a thief, that's an empty life. If you're greedy, that's an empty life. If you're a drunkard, Oh, that's empty lives. That's what the world is into out there. That's an empty life. That's what Christ came to save us from. Take us from an empty life to a full life. That is the type of life Jesus came to set us free from. And let me tell you something. When he sets you free, you're free indeed. 
because Paul says in verse 11, I love verse 11, after he says all that about, about the, the empty life, this is what he says. He says, and that is what some of you were. Can you agree with that? That's what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul was saying, yes, you were in that empty life. Yes, you were all of those things, but you're not that anymore. Why? Because Christ has washed you. He has sanctified you. It's amazing how all these uh, reformist groups like uh, AAA and, and all of those 12-step programs, they teach you, well, you're just a, a, a reforming alcoholic. No, you're not reforming anything when you come to Christ. You get set free. Yeah, you want that. But you're not that anymore. I was that, but I'm not that anymore. We were saved from that futile way of living, that useless, fruitless way of living, with no purpose or future, never satisfied, never satisfied or filled. It's not religion. It's eternal life. So what is this life to the full or life more abundant, as the King James translates it, now, we know from King Solomon, it's not the things we possess. It's not material things. It's not physical pleasures. It's not accomplishments. I'm talking about accomplishments. I was a hairdresser from 18 years old till God called me into the ministry. God allowed me to be successful once I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I remember eight years after I was saved, I was, I was at a convention with my pastor. I had everything I ever dreamed about doing. I had two beauty schools. I had a brand-new Lincoln Continental block-long two-story house with a swimming pool. I was doing shows all over the United States. I was doing everything I ever dreamed about doing in my profession. Well, my pastor invited me to a convention, a Church Grove convention. And uh, I don't know what I was doing there. He, I guess he, God knew. But I was there with him with nothing but church leaders and pastors and what have you. And at that service that night, they gave an altar call for the pastors to go to the altar to be prayed for. Well, I wasn't a pastor. I'm standing in the back, minding my own business. And as those pastors were getting prayed for, the Lord began speaking to me. And he began telling me how he gave me everything I ever desired. He says, and you have joy in that. He says, because I gave it to you. I said, exactly. Because I had it before. I had talent before. But I didn't have Christ. I didn't have God. And I couldn't make ends meet. But after I came to Christ, the windows of heaven opened up for me. In fact, I even had an unsaved friend come to me one day when I was at my beauty school. He says, what is it with you? It looks like everything you're touching is turning to gold. I said, man, let me tell you where. You know me? I said, I had talent before nothing happened. I said, God has opened up the windows of heaven for me. But, God speaking to me at that service saying, 
you've had joy in everything I've given you, but you're not going to have the joy like those men have unless you come with me. And I knew what he was saying. And I want to tell you, it's been 40 years now that I gave up all of that to do what I'm doing. This is joy. You hear what I'm telling you? This is joy. Seeing people's lives changed, seeing people get set free from an empty way of life, and they have a life. There's nothing like this. This is what it's all about. See, it's not a religion. It's a life. It's supernatural life. It's not just life. It's not just a change of habits. No, it's a supernatural life. It's eternal life that we can receive from God when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this fulfilled life doesn't depend on what we have or what we do. It's eternal life that satisfies us. 2 Corinthians, Paul says uh, in in chapter 5, verse 7, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. In other words, the empty, useless, fruitless life is gone. The full life has come. But the Word of God says this, the best is yet to come. You say, well, I'm, I'm fulfilled now. I'm fulfilled now. I've been serving God for 49 years. I'm, I'm so full, I can't even tell you. But guess what? It ain't over yet. The best is yet to come for me and for you. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, Paul says, However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit confirms to you that this is the best it's going to get. I don't care where you are in life, what you're facing in life. If Christ is in you, it's the best it's going to get. See, because it doesn't depend on what we do here and what we have here. It depends on if we have the life that God has given us. If we have the life, then, then that's it. It don't get no better than that. I don't care where you are. 49 years ago when I first got saved, I didn't know everything, but I knew one thing. My life was better than it's ever been. And it kept getting better. And it's going to keep getting better. In fact, the Bible tells us we don't even have any idea how good it's going to be. See, when Christ sets us free, from that empty life, there's no turning back. I can't understand how some people, after they have experienced God, can go back. What are you going back to? You're going back to emptiness. You're going back to fruitlessness. You're going back to meaningless. You're going back to a life that's aimless. How can you go back? There's no turning back. Who wants to go back to that? Not me. See, there's nothing better than this. It don't get no better than this. Stand with me. I'm looking around here, and I, I don't believe there's unsaved people here. 
So I can't give an altar call for salvation. Or maybe, what about our sister here?